Welcome to City Harbor Church. It's so good to see you this morning. My name is Ben. I serve as pastor. How you like my rabbit costume? Some of y'all know I don't dress like this all that often. Uh, so good to be together this morning. Uh, if you would like uh, a Bible, just wave your hand and someone will bring one to you. Uh, make life uh, a little bit easier. We will have uh, slides up as well. A uh, couple of quick reminders. Make sure that you get the uh, informational card uh, that's around. Make sure you grab one of those so that you keep up to date with all the different uh, goings on. Um, of course, we use uh, social media as well and email, but uh, we've got uh, the bin at the back by the refreshments for shoes. If you brought shoes for the homeless, we have over a 100 pair of shoes uh, in recent uh, months that we've given for the homeless. We try to focus on shoes for men, sizes 9 to 12, um, and also coming up on Saturday, the day before Mother's Day, we're going to be doing two different things on that day. One, uh, for a few years in a row now, we've helped Mothers Cry, a service to the mothers of murder victims, and we put on a, a Mother's Day uh, brunch for them. And also on that day, we're going to be helping the skate park down here at 36 and Roosevelt with their fundraiser. We're going to be doing that all day. So all day, there's multiple opportunities uh, to volunteer. We believe that love should be in action. Okay, thank you, four of you. Glad that you are with me. All right, let's pray and ask God for help uh, as we turn to the scripture this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are who you said you are. And I thank you that even in the account that we just saw, the illustration we just saw from the students, that there is a description that reflects reality. That some of your followers, your friends, those that saw you face to face, couldn't believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. That even in this historical account, we see that you care more about an authentic personal relationship with us, to care more about giving us an opportunity to come to you with honesty, with our doubts, than about coming to you in our Sunday best. So as we turn our attention to the Scripture, I ask that you would help us open our spiritual eyes, open our spiritual ears. I thank you for that today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So, last Sunday and this Sunday, we were talking about the God of Miracles. See the title on the screen there. And you can listen, if you ever have to miss for work, you can listen to the Sunday morning talk on our website, cityharborchurch.com, or on iTunes or other ways that you get your podcasts. So we talked last Sunday, and we walked through some of the miracles that Jesus performed. A doctor named Luke put together a historical account of what happened, and he put effort into compiling from all the different eyewitness accounts in a single place, a document that actually, if we take an academic approach and we go back and we find how many copies of this we have and we use the higher education and academic approach to determining the veracity of this document, how reliable is this document, what we're going to look at here today as we turn to Luke 24 We have more historical proof that this occurred than we do of many things that are taught in history classes. Now, why do I say that? I say that because I myself have been at a place where I didn't believe. Where I didn't believe that this was real. 
And this is a safe place. You call this City Harbor Church a safe place to find and follow Jesus. This is a safe place to come in with questions, to come in with doubts, to come in not believing, to be open about that, to talk about that. This is a safe place for that. Not because it's my idea or because they think it's cool, but because that was Jesus' approach. That was what we see even in this story. So we're going to turn to Luke 24 to read the account of what we just saw illustrated. We're talking about the God of miracles, and if we were to define what a miracle is, as you're turning to Luke 24, it's a wonder, a marvel, an extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. Some people would say an act of God, even if they don't believe in God. The fact of the matter is that every day in our country, doctors and scientists come across things that they cannot explain and that they certainly could not do on their own. It's true. Just listen, I've spent plenty of time in hospitals, some of it with some of you. And we talk to doctors, they come across things on a regular basis that they cannot explain. And we serve a God of miracles. Our text today, we actually take from Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, which helps us answer the question of why. Why would Jesus need to die? Why would he need to come back to life? Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. In other words, to bring us back into a right relationship with God. That's the purpose. There is a purpose for his resurrection. It's not a circus. It wasn't to get five billion streams. All right, some of you are still... Come on now, right? So... What are we looking at here, Luke chapter 24? Well, what has just occurred is that after Jesus' miracles, after him teaching, love your enemies, serve the poor, right? After him teaching, don't do things like these mean religious people do. After all of these things and him living a peaceful life, even as a person who was born a refugee and a part of a race of people that were oppressed by a violent government... In that place, the religious people of the day, the people that were better than others, or so they thought, conspired with an oppressive government to falsely accuse him, put on a kangaroo court, if you will, and then he was put to death. And the Romans, it it bears mentioning, were experts in torture and execution. There's many historical documents. They would they created a science out of it. And the fact of the matter is, and historians have written about this at length, that what Jesus was put through was something that the Romans developed over years of determining how far could they torture a human body before it would die. So Jesus literally went through the worst death that's possible. So we're not going to read the whole account of everything that occurred, but everything that occurred was in a scientific way as close as they could get a human body to death before putting him to death on the cross. And the cross, by way, to Jews was a symbol of one who was cursed. So Jesus is on the cross, and just before we pick up here in Luke chapter 24, he has said things like this. Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. He's been tortured. He's been betrayed. He's been wrongfully accused. And what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The criminal next to him recognizes that he's no ordinary cat. Talks to him. And Jesus says, because of your faith, today you will be with me in paradise. And Father, why have you forsaken me? And finally Jesus says, it is finished. Now, they bury him. They take his body away. And for the Jews, Saturday is the Sabbath. So many of his followers were hiding. We pick up the account, Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. So they stood there puzzled. Two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed down with their faces to the ground. And the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified? And that he would rise again on the third day? Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. He still didn't believe. Wondering what had happened. Now the next part that we see here in chapter 24, there's two of his followers, not among the eleven, two of his followers that are walking on the road from there to a town called Emmaus. And these are not big names. These aren't the celebrities. These aren't the remarkable people. But God wants to include them in the story. And so Jesus appears to them. And he walks with them. And he talks with them. And and they're bewildered by the fact that he's not aware of what happened. That this person, Jesus, who they're actually talking to, um, had been put to death. And and then he he asks them questions. And he walks them through the scriptures of where it was prophesied that he would come. Yeshua, Yamashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. They recognized him. They sat down to eat. He took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Picking up in verse 31. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. Back down the road they came. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them. Who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. 
Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. I ain't afraid. No. Why are you, why are you frightened? He asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's right. Every book of the Bible has something about Jesus. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Yeah, they needed help too. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations or to people of all ethnicities, beginning in Jerusalem. And here's the message, Jesus says, end quote, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Jesus makes it plain. He unpacks it for them. He makes it simple. This is why this occurred. So that people of all kinds, in all places, could hear this simple message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Do you believe that today? Yes. Come on. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. For nearly six weeks after Jesus appears to people, and oddly enough, like he doesn't stand out in public places for thousands of people to see him. It's mostly in, in rooms, in, in places where they were gathering, still hiding, still trying to figure out what was going on. It was personal interactions that was happening where Jesus was revealing himself. And then before he goes back to the Father, and he reveals himself to nearly 500 people when it was all said and done. Jesus said this on the screen. Because you have seen me, you have believed. And then he makes a comment about you and I. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus was looking forward. See, the reality is that once Thomas believed Nobody that saw Jesus that we have a historical record of who saw him resurrected didn't believe. They all believed. And, and we have an amazing record of what happened as a result of that. Their lives were changed forever. And Jesus knew that would occur. But he was thinking about you and I then when he was standing there with him. When he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Because Jesus had a compassion. Those of you that were here last week, right? Come on, Jesus' compassion. Jesus had a compassion for us. 
He knew that trust would not be easy for us. Come on, can we be real this morning? He knew that we would be hurt, we would be abandoned, we would be betrayed, we would be used and abused. And that as a result of that, we couldn't help ourselves but look at God prejudiced, thinking God is like another human. And so trusting God would be about impossible. Jesus knew that that would be the place that we would find ourselves in. He knew that doubt is what we would be full of. Pain is what we would be focused on. And he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Frank Morrison was an English journalist who set out to disprove the resurrection of Christ. And he wrote a book that you can still read called Who Moved the Stone? Like Lee Strobel, another journalist, like many other people, including my, my sister's doctor who delivered her babies, many brilliant people have set out to disprove the resurrection of Christ factually and have found it impossible and have yet become believers. We cannot call ourselves Christian. That's like mini-me Jesus, right? We can't call ourselves a Christian. Oh yeah, I believe in, I believe in God. I believe in that Jesus without believing in the resurrection. Because as has been well said, he is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. Because he predicted that he would be put to death and that he would come back to life on the third day. Who does that? Right? C.H. Dodd wrote this. The resurrection is not a belief that grew up within the church. It is the belief around which the church itself grew up. And the given upon which its faith is based. This is the starting point. This is where we start. And I know that, honestly, today some of us are going to leave with questions. So I've provided with you with some more. There's a paper on the table in the back that I would love if you would take with you that has some questions that can help help you unpack what it is that you are not sure if you believe and what you don't understand about why Jesus would need to be put to death, what the resurrection means, the significance of it. And you'll find a question and you'll find a scripture reference that you can look up and you can go to Bible.com or pull up an app on your phone or take one of the Bibles that we have with you today as a gift from us and look up the scriptures and, and find those answers and then talk about it and see what you think. Isn't that helpful? But this is a place where if we can't be honest here, then where? Right? Now, there are many proofs that Jesus came back to life. One is that these friends, these followers, these men and women, went from one day hiding from a government and a religious class of people that were hunting them down to becoming bold witnesses of Christ who would boldly speak the truth until almost every one of them was put to death. Grab Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read the accounts of how they were put to death. You don't stand up for something, be threatened with death, be tortured, be put to death, always being told, if you will recant, if you will say that you don't believe in Jesus, we won't put you to death. You don't do that if you didn't see something. There's proof in the pudding. They 
were changed. They were forever changed. It made a difference. One thing that I I do appreciate about God is that although there's much about the resurrection that invites belief, nothing compels it. Faith requires the possibility of rejection or it is not faith. The truth is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. There is actually a romance in the relationship. You have a choice. You have a choice. We may take criticism for believing such a myth of resurrection. Clearly, humans love fantasy, comic books and Star Wars and things of that nature. J.R.R. Tolkien, perhaps this century's greatest creator of fairy tales, often faced the charge that fantasy is an escapist way of shifting attention away from the pressures of the real world. His reply was simple. Everything depends on that from which one is escaping. We view the flight of a deserter and the escape of a prisoner very differently. Why should a man be scorned if finding himself in prison, he tries to get out and go home? Fairy tales include much struggle and pain, yet even so they manage to resolve in a way that replaces tears with smiles. Easter does that too. And for this, as well as many other reasons, it rings true. Easter gives us hope in new life from Jesus now and a foreshadowing of the freedom we will experience from this temporary suffering into his ultimate victory. This is the sham, this world. This pain is what is temporary. This pain. Don't reject Jesus for some temporary pleasure that will pass away and miss out on the pleasure that will last forever. The crowd at Jesus' crucifixion challenged him to prove himself by climbing down from the cross, but not one person thought of what would actually happen next. He would die and then come back. Once the scenario played out, though, to those who knew Jesus best, it made perfect sense. The style fit God's perfect pattern and character. God has always chosen the slow and difficult way, respecting human freedom regardless of cost. God did not, God did not abolish the fact of evil. He transformed it. He did not stop the crucifixion. He rose from the dead. That's God's way. It's inside out, upside down, backwards of what we humans normally think. Born a virgin, as a refugee, as someone poor, as someone looked down upon. The orphan, the stepchild, the... There is no person who is broken and oppressed with whom Jesus cannot identify. You ever wonder, why did Jesus keep the scars? You ever think about that? I mean, he could have come back like... (laughs) 
Schwarzenegger or something, you know? <laughs> I am the Eastern... You know, I mean, he could have, like... There's so many different things he could have done, right? But he comes back, and, and his the description that was prophesied about him was that he would not be remarkable. He'd be kind of like me. Average height, average built, face for radio. <laughs> Don't tell my mom I said that. Right? He chose to keep the scars... Why? I believe that his time on earth was precious to him. All of it. The ordinary times that nobody wrote about. All of it. And I believe that what happened on the cross was important. You might say the enemy's greatest victory in that moment. Right? You might say the most tragic event of history. Clearly, we can't avoid it because my friends that love profanity more than their cigarette can't stop from saying his name. (laughs) He's undeniable. History was divided by him. There's A.D., B.C. Figure it out. Right? He kept the scars. I think a personal reminder to himself of his years of confinement and the suffering. He chose for you to live on this dusty planet, to be betrayed, to be called names, to be falsely accused, to be beaten, to be tortured, to be put to death for you for a reason. I believe it. Here's one thing I've found about scars, and some of you know I've had multiple concussions, broken both arms, and Blown out my knee, surgery. I've got a variety of scars. Some scars will never go away. But they don't hurt any longer either. You know, I don't know how this is all going to work, but from my study in Scripture, someday we will be in heaven. And we will recognize each other. I don't know if you'll recognize me by my scars or what. I don't know how that works. Jesus chose to keep the scars. He loves you. They're also a sign that ultimate victory is in Jesus. That this earth will be recreated. That we will have glorified bodies. That we will experience a resurrection that will be an Easter new start. A sign. That message, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. I want to turn to Ephesians 2 before we leave today. We've done a series on this before and unpacked how the people that this letter was written to were a lot like us. That in fact, Ephesus had some similarities to Baltimore. And that the people this were written to, like us, had gone through some hard times. That have had to rebuild. That had great difficulty. And yet we're followers of Jesus. And so Paul writes this to them. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And that this, uh, we've talked about this before, but in this letter, the you, the word you or your is plural. It's written to all of them and it was written to all of them in that region. So we can take this even to ourselves. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now he knows them, they're friends, they know each other's past the skeletons in the closet. How many of you 
liked the illustration during the song of people holding up signs of where they had been personally in their life. Wasn't that good? Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. This word that he uses, dead, you see on the screen means unable to respond, powerless, without life. Everyone that was here was a part of Celebrate Recovery, which we have Wednesday nights right now at St. Luke's and on the 26th we'll be back at the Hamden Family Center. Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock, where we come together and one of the things we come together for is a holistic time for us, whether it's depression, anxiety, eating disorders, drug and alcohol addiction, or, or whatever it is. That we come, we've come to a place where we've seen our brokenness and that life doesn't really work. Right? We've come to grips with the fact that there are some things, some hurts, some hang-ups, some habits in our life that we are powerless to overcome. We've found ourselves unable to respond to God in a way that is worthy as a thank you for all He's done. Well, that's, there's life when we come to that realization. There's real help, real change that's possible. We are dead in our failures, our false steps, our disorder, our wrongdoing, our following the course of this world. And that's what sin really is. It's a disorder in the relationship. Paul goes on to write this, Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5, But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, spiritually dead, separated, powerless, right? He gave us life, when? When He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you have been saved. He goes on, verses 8-10, through God saved you by His grace when you believed. The spiritual start, when Jesus came back to life, brought to a moment of salvation in your life, when you respond, when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. That's why there should never be spiritual pride of I'm better than another person. That attitude stinks. It's got no place in here. Right? We're all in this together. If I feel like I'm better than somebody else, that means I'm immature and I'm not. Well, what? (laughs) Right? You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago so that we can live a life out of a thank you to God. Right? Should be the only motivation for doing something good. Not to get something out of God or rubbing the, the lamp Looking for the genie? Trying to prove you're better than someone else? No! Heck no! Right? As a thank you! Thank you, God, for this new life that's available to me. God is so rich in mercy. Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. Today, you can be right with God. One of the verses in this passage of Scripture reminds me of Sesame Street. That's strange, you might say. It says that through this gift of Jesus, God has brought us who were once far from Him to be close to Him. Remember? Near, far. 
near, far. <laughs> Who has ever felt like you were far from God? Oh, I knew it. I didn't think it. Right? He was raised to life to make us right with God. Why? Jesus explained it to us that this message, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. All. All. Everybody. All. A-L-L. It's the stain lifter. Everybody. For all who repent. This word repent, it, this is what it literally means. A turnaround. I was headed this way, living for myself, because I'm the only self that matters. Right? <laughs> I was living for myself, and I turn. Receive His love. Receive a new life from Him, and live for Him. It's a turnaround. It's a turnaround. There's a miracle of new life in a turnaround. That's the message that Jesus said was the purpose for his resurrection. It's the point. He's a God of miracles. I want to pray and give you an opportunity to respond. But first, I want to read this to you. And it's just maybe close your eyes and imagine a little bit of how those disciples, how those friends of Jesus, how those followers were feeling. Jesus had had gone back to be with the Father. He'd said this to him. He'd come back to life, and then he went back to be with the Father. And they're sitting there in the room because he told them to wait for God the Holy Spirit to come with power. So if I take Easter as the starting point, the one incontrovertible fact about how God treats those whom he loves, then human history becomes the contradiction And Easter, a preview of ultimate reality. Hope then flows like a lava beneath the crust of daily life. This perhaps describes the change in the disciples' perspective as they sat in locked rooms discussing the incomprehensible events of Easter Sunday. In one sense, nothing had changed. Rome still occupied Palestine. Religious authorities still had a bounty on their heads. Death and evil still reigned outside. Gradually, however, the shock of recognition gave way to a long, slow undertow of joy. If God could do that, think about that realization coming over them. If God could do that, you see, Jesus himself said, What is the greater miracle, that I heal this person's body or that I forgive them of their sins? There is a miracle available to you today. Will you stand with me, please? I believe that God will not let death win. It was so nice, I'll say it twice. I believe that God will not let death win. We experience it in this earth, in suffering. We do. But there is victory in Jesus. 
a here and now where we can experience new life that is nothing short of a miracle. Freedom from depression is possible. Freedom from a compulsion to make bad decisions is possible. Freedom from addiction is possible. If God could do that, God will not let death win. He's a God of miracles. Jesus' love gives new life. Let's close in prayer. Chris is going to play for a while, and I want you to enjoy today. This is a day to celebrate. That's what this is really about. And so we've got stuff to eat, stuff to drink, enjoy each other's company. But here in the front, we're also going to make prayer available to you. You're here. You know you're not here by mistake today. That God loves you. You're not where you need to be. You want to accept his love. You want to accept his miracle. And make a turnaround. Well, the best thing you can do is allow someone to pray with you. To help you make that fresh start. So after I close in prayer, please don't leave before you've stepped out of your seat. Stepped out to the side or to the front. Ask somebody to pray with you. There is a miracle that is available for you today. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are who you said you are. You're Yahweh, our creator and our redeemer. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Yeshua, Yamashiach. You sent him as the Messiah, the gift, the miracle that was prophesied, that was predicted. You sent him. You allowed him to take on himself the penalty of our sin. You rose him from the dead on the third day so that we can be made right with you. I thank you that a fresh start, that new life is available in you. Thank you that you've done that miracle in me. Thank you that that miracle is alive in this room, which is how we can come together, redeemed, set free. I thank you for it. Help us, Lord, to follow you. Look for you, to read about you, to talk to you, to listen to you, to reach out in relationships with others. It's not easy for us, Lord. We need your help. Thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've left a little bit of extra time today so that you can spend time in prayer if you would like or you can enjoy each other's company. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so glad to see you. Grace and peace to you. Have a great day.